You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. When I, about 20, 25 years ago, when I f- published my first or second novel, I was thrilled to get two pieces of fan mail from writers that I really admired who weren't New Yorkers that I was friends with and all this kind of stuff. And one of them was from John Shirley. And I ran into John Shirley a few years later, and I said, John, that really inspired me. And uh, that's one of the reasons I became a professional writer. And John said, well, you should be pissed off at me then. You should hate me. <laughs> but you could have had a career. And the other, which thrilled me equally, was from Michael Shea, who was the author of Niphthalene and quite a person in the field. I forgot what it said. It just said, cool book or said something it was like great, that. which it was. <laughs> Talking Man, a great book. Talking Man. So, and, uh, so uh, I went all these years without meeting Michael Shea, and I guess in a sense getting him to read here at our program is maybe my revenge on him for, uh, <laughs> for help pull me in the field. And Michael Shea's won the World Fantasy Award a couple of times, once for Niphthalene and once for a novel, the, the a, a novella called The Grolim. And I've always thought that Michael's got quite a way, he's got quite a way with titles and also he has a sort of a way with horror that sort of backs into it. Nobody else could write a line like, uh, uh, he wasn't completely a scorpion, you know, which sort of uh, describing one of the demons in, I think, in Niphthalene. So he's a, he's a, a remarkable and unforgettable and a uh, classic writer in the field, and we're very pleased to have him here tonight, Michael Shea. Dave. Hey, uh, thanks for coming, guys. I hate to uh, break the spell that Michael has cast, but at least this is brief. Uh, this is the... Um, uh, the opening passage of my new novel called Demiurge, which I'm sure you guys all know about, Elemental. Well, this one is its own, Demiurge. I tell this now, what I did when I could not yet speak. I call things what I later learned to call them. My strength was extensive, but slow. I understood a will in me because I moved and it was hard, hard, hard to move. But move I did. And this was the first thing I knew, my will. I clambered inchingly around every dike of stone within the softer earth that met my movement. I taught myself my will with my endless work in the perfect dark. And as I moved through this complex of densities, I learned its hugeness. I discovered that my will was also a question that I asked without ceasing and without words to ask it. What was I going to do with all of this? Long and long my question inched through the planet meat, and at length, a length I cannot measure, I learned the first great thing, eating 
and being eaten. The earth was my flesh that I changed with my movement, and it came to pass that I entered a busier flesh, one filled with energies. These energies, tiny tubular things, mangled and sucked and reshaped and excreted my flesh and left it in minuscule coiled droppings shaped by their tiny innards. This experience was ravishing. I surged to embrace it, and it seemed not long until my flesh was populous with these slender hungers consuming it. Life was the first great thing that being eaten showed me. Within all these exquisite entrails, I knew their joy in consuming me. I felt their wills, the minute jubilations of their bodies receiving and sundering me. I made so many friends, literally made them, furnished their flesh and their force. Host upon host, nematodes, fungi, woodlice, they sacked me for my carbon and I crossed their membranes and sharp-edged little molecules. Everywhere I lay plundered, I danced piecemeal in the coela of my hungry takers. My extent was perhaps a ragged cubic mile, fringed by a watery realm. The lives I entered concentrated me. Each little life consumed more of my participation, more of my intent. At my outset, I was merely a great littoral mass until I learned the wonder and enlargement it is to feed and be fed on. Gradually, I rose, as I now perceive it, to the root level. Here, and in the black murk of pond bottoms, I found much larger lives growing. The feeding of these was spectacular, all these marvelous tool bearers with their pincers and enzymes. They made a grand event of each other's bodies. Here was action. I had senses that could touch and taste. The drama was wholly absorbing, capturing, sundering, liquefaction, ingestion, organic confetti was all they left. And then there came something else. I was in a large bug draining a frog when I was thunderstruck. The darkness around me was not exactly the blackness I had always known. Something else was entering it. And soon it was that I discovered darkness. In the moment, I discovered light. Glorious, unspeakable light. It was as another frog that I first wholly emerged in this light and sat and bathed in it, sat wholly within the light. Truly for me, this was the dawn of my world. How I gazed and was taken by a big gopher snake. Was it long before I branched everywhere in this world of light? I could not feel that it was long at all, so utterly new was each instant of it. I know I was already at least a dozen lizards and snakes when something crushed one of them and my blood drenched some tubers 
which a jackrabbit ate. Ah, my jackrabbit. Now these were eyes. This was power and speed to cover whole tracts of golden hills. It was with my rabbit I really came to see the sky. Its long blue fire dying red, its black gulf of diamonds. I was with many other lives, of course, but in my rabbit I gathered my keenest will. This was revelation. I was topside and running on the earth, gazing, grazing, mating. But under our first sky together, my mate, a short way up slope of me in the grass, was hammered and snatched into the air. I watched great wings haul her aloft. I wanted to be one of those. I ran up on a rock and sat there so still, waiting for that rapture to take me. And then, after a long while, thought perhaps I should move a bit. I began grooming myself. I exploded into the sky, pierced by claws. Dismemberment in the crown of a high tree. Oh, the drama of these bigger beings, with what strength and diligence they tear one another to bits. My hawk's work of ingestion lasted till sundown, but long before that I arrived in her bloodstream, and just as the dusk drew down I was with her and encountered the miracle of binocular vision. I beheld the world and the wideness thereof. No surprise that I lingered in her days and nights, scarcely grudged her time to take prey, then goaded her again aloft to feed my astonished and astonishing eyes on the hills, the wide marshes yielding to the bay. And gazed most awed on this below me here, these paired rivers where the mightiest creatures of this world roared along in unison, so near where I had been, yet only heard, not seen. The rivers were composed of huge bugs, some titanic, gaudily co colored, all hurtling along, snaking and diving and climbing across the hills. My hawk showed great resistance to my diving close to see them, but I was bent on knowing them. She fought my plunge, but we swooped down on one, streaking quite near its wide, shiny eye. And the creature startled. It veered, veered back with a shrieking sound, and crashed into the rear of the bigger, brighter beast before it, a shrieking and veering of other beasts, several of which impacted one another and froze still. We hung higher above, but still far lower than my hawk's preference. The damaged beast we'd startled unfolded a square wing from its flank and extruded a vertical angular animal with a colorful hide. I had to have one of these. Would it eat a hawk? Down we went, my mount fighting me hard and hung right near the animal's face. <clears throat> Wonderful big eyes it had, frontally set, yes, we pulled back up to hover, not too high. The creature extended its foreleg and its wide forepaw crumpled into a kind of knob and the creature shook this knob at us. 
Others of the bugs were extruding similar creatures now, but ours thrust its upper half back into its bug. Then in its forepaws it brought out of the bug something like a stick which it pointed at us. A hole tore through my hawk's sternum, followed by an incredible noise. We crashed down into the grass and lay dead. I must, I must have one of those. Thank you. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.